You're listening to Realities and Dreams Culture Under COVID, a series of podcasts examining the impact of COVID-19 on the UK creative economy. creative and cultural sector and individual practitioners within it have been hit especially hard by the pandemic. In each episode, a researcher from University of Warwick Centre for Cultural and Media Policy Studies will be talking to a creative practitioner about how their work has been affected and about their hopes for the future. As the rest of the economy slowly emerges from lockdown, artists, performers, writers and musicians are still struggling. Most of the audiences and institutions which support their work are still not able to operate effectively. The interactions and relationships which support their process are severely curtailed. There is little money coming in and many are having to consider other options. Without creative people, the rest of the creative economy cannot survive. How are they coping with this crisis and what can they look forward to in the future? In this episode, Maria Barrett is talking to Jeff Turner on the 15th of September 2020. Jeff is a producer and with Sharon Marsden, one of the founding artists of Verdegree in Hebden Bridge in West Yorkshire. Verdegree specialises in participative work in the areas of community cohesion, health and well-being and intergenerational practice. Uh, do you want to start by telling us a bit more about Verdegree, uh, what you do and why you do it? What we wanted to do was generate work that came from people's lives and from their own lived experience. And that's pretty much what we've done over the last 20 years. We've, we've worked pretty much across the north of England, Manchester, Liverpool, up to northern parts of Lancashire, and then through into Yorkshire, where we're based now. And we work across art forms as well, which is quite difficult for some people, and particularly for some commissions. Uh, but whatever we decide to do, whatever art form we we decide to work in and whatever people we decide to work with artist wise it comes from the communities that we're working in and nothing is really kind of taken in everything is developed on the on the back of the people that we meet the people that we talk to and that we spend time with so it's very much about building relationships with local people and then building relationships with artists that we like and that we work with and we get what they get what and they're sympathetic and uh, either have kind of been introduced to that way of working through working with us and they like it and they can see the value in that. Uh, sometimes it might be a, a particular project looking at a particular theme around migration or particular health condition like dementia or Parkinson's. Uh, sometimes it can be, as I say, quite short, sort of six months. Sometimes it can go on for maybe three to five years, which is what's happened recently with our, our work with um, women in Calderdale. Oh, absolutely. So, so in that sense, you're doing community-engaged work, and it's, the starting point is always the community. And that must make it particularly hard, I mean, as you described at the best of times, because you're not easy to put in a box. But at this point, because of lockdown, when your communities, some of whom are vulnerable, I mean, how is it impacted on you? How's lockdown impacted on you? Well, that's the main, that's the main issue for us, because our work is about connection with people. And 
it's kind of a double-edged sword, really. If you've got an existing relationship with a group of people that you work very hard to establish, and it was barring the, the thing around uh, technology and connectivity for some people, if if you if you have access to smartphone Wi-Fi, then it was easy for us to move some of that 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 sessional work online. And what we had to do for those people that didn't have that was create um, like create sessions in a physical form, burn off some DVDs, get some materials out to local people who didn't have them or couldn't have them, all shielding and couldn't get out to get anything. Um, so we did manage to find a way around it. But the, But when you're trying to respond to the pandemic and you're trying to reach people who are not part of a pre-existing group, uh, then trust and relationship building are key. Yeah. And how you do that work has been really difficult uh, across all the different, we've got about six projects running ranging from the emotional well-being and support work for women's groups to the support of younger people who are experiencing lockdown and what's what's their impact like on their lives and their mental health so young people are as we all know they very much live in the moment so it, it took us about 12 months to put a group together and then lockdown hit and they they retreated into the kind of stuff that they they were doing just to just to survive day to day. Yeah, and that didn't involve being involved in a creative project that was only kind of just getting going, really. Yeah. So it then became quite difficult to reach them, and some of them were part of the pre-existing group, so we'd already built trust with them. So when everybody went into lockdown, they went into a a physical. And like a metaphysical lockdown, it was it was really difficult to reach people because, and I think I don't, I don't I'm not quite sure which section this fits in with lots of questions. But as an organisation, you can try and put funding applications and put ideas together, but the actual realisation of those things is actually really difficult because reaching those people gaining their trust and engaging them in a project and something that's really meaningful that's going to impact on them. That's really quite hard. So, so there are, obviously there are funding streams available. There have been funding streams available, but you could, as an organization, you kind of take those things on, but to actually really get anything tangible out of them is, is, is quite difficult just because where people are at so is that a funding issue or is that a sort of do you need other sorts of support or is that just the nature of the beast you just need to slowly work out how it is you can engage in this different world i have there have been some really successful projects that that i know you know close to us in yorkshire like the engagement of young people uh in a photograph photographic project uh 
I think what they did there is when there were really, really strong pre-existing networks, support networks, um, where there's a kind of an embedded history of youth work, you can you can get those young you can get that that sort of body of you know potential participants. You can you can get through to them, get them on board, because there are there are existing relationships. When you've got a situation where you say if you're a local authority and you just haven't invested on that in that, and certainly not by using the arts, it's very difficult then to try to say, "Hey, I know, let's use creative yeah. activities, everybody," because no one's got any experience of that. Of that. No, I'm not just talking about the participants, potential participants. I'm talking about the youth workers. The link officers, the the commissioners themselves, because they just haven't done it and they've got no experience of it. So they might see it happening somewhere else and think that's a great idea and that's a great way of reaching people who are struggling emotionally. But you can't you can't really get them on board and you can't tap into any networks because they really don't know what you're talking about. Sure. So, so I, I I think the. The long-term investment in, and this is all about relationship building, in um, that grassroots, you know, creative support work, creative activities, and the benefit, the tangible benefits, we can see them in pockets around the country. They're usually in places where there's been a really good, strong network and a good, good, strong experience. I mean, this this will happen in theatres where. They've had really great youth provision and a sense of ownership by young people within that area. And they can think, okay, so we're not going into our our usual kind of classes or our usual groups at the theatre, but you know what, they're doing some online stuff, so I'm going to do that instead. But if you haven't built that relationship with local communities, then you can't suddenly say, hey, everyone, let's do some creative activities because... Because that, that relationship just isn't there. So I was going to ask you about grants and things, but what, from what you're saying, it's not about funding for projects right now. It's about what should have been built up in the past, where it's working is where that investment has already happened, where there's infrastructure. And I'm not just thinking about infrastructure in terms of the digital, but, but also in terms of, I don't know, the participative infrastructure, you know, we're used to doing this work in these communities. We've already, as you say, got those relationships. Well, I think you can understand especially within the health sector the importance of social connection so bringing people together is a is a really important thing but uh, there have been and the, you know if you're working with older people there are issues around accessibility and getting people to places to do things sure. the, te- the technology was always there to to take that session and take it into residential care or to take that session into somebody who's got Parkinson's, but they don't feel that they can make it on that day. Yeah. That they, they could use the technology. But that just hasn't happened because we haven't really, obviously we haven't been in a situation before where everybody's suddenly gone into lockdown and none of those things are possible. So it might be that there's a, there's a, a realisation of of how we move between the two. Just to, just to go back to um, 
how things have changed. So the, the connection is obviously really important. Losing momentum is really important because we, as a company, we were in a position where we'd done a few projects trying to push some of these issues, uh, being commissioned by, for example, the local authority, pushing the, the issue around um, lived experience, uh, giving local people uh, a platform and doing advocacy, but it's, it's, it's allowing the people themselves to talk directly to policymakers and commissioners so we were working with the director of public health around mental health in the workplace. And that, that was, was going really well. We had a number of screenings lined up. It had already been to the presentation to the Health and Wellbeing Board here with the NHS representatives and that mental health trust. But that all got stopped. And, uh, I mean, that, that's one of those things that can, that can happen anyway. It doesn't have to be a pandemic to stop things. I mean, if, if you're working with a local authority and one person leaves, they <laughs> could be the end of the, the end of the relationship and the end of the work. You know, it's one of the most frustrating things of working in this kind of field. If you've got a local champion that then helps to get that that work established, particularly the sort of socially engaged work, if they leave, that can often be the end of it. Yes, because those personal relationships are so important. Yeah. So uh, the other thing is that just the level of uncertainty. You know, I think even for the major funding bodies, they're only looking at six months. The National Lottery are only looking at, we're only looking towards April 2021. And the Arts Council themselves, the project grants are only looking at 2021 and April. So you're only looking at covering yourself for another six months. So for an organisation that you're trying to put things together and you're trying to plan for the next couple of years, you really can't do that because there are no national funding organisations really that are looking beyond that, which is understandable as well because they don't know what's going to be happening in six months. Yeah. So that I think the idea is you just let's all, let's all support you if we can, get to April and then reassess. Yes, and as you say, because nobody knows what's going to happen next. But, and that brings me on to um, a, a question about the future, really. The se this series of podcasts is called Realities and Dreams. What do you hope for? What do you wish would come out of this sector, uh, out of this for the sector? What do you hope happens for the participatory arts sector after COVID? I think a greater degree of trust. I think the, the levels of bureaucracy are uh, soul-destroying, and counterproductive. I think, I'm not sure, it may well have been Lloyd's TSB that said that they were going to scrap their application process. They were going to develop relationships with some key partners who were tried and tested and just go and visit the projects, talk to the people that benefited from the projects and talked about what the organisations needed and how they could help. I, think, I, don't, I don't see any reason why local trusts, foundation, grant-making organisations have to go through that level of application process when they know your work, they know the people that you're trying to support. In many ways, when you've got organisations 
who work in this sector and by their very nature are very responsive, they're very creative and innovative. It's what's needed is more to go to that organization and say, you know what, this is the report that we commissioned that looks at sort of the vital signs around, uh, you know, the local economy or health or whatever it is and say, how can you work with us to try to address some of these, these issues? Knowing the track record that you've got, knowing the way that you work with people, knowing the way that you can advocate both with and on behalf of those people and, you know, try to, but I think that's about how the arts is viewed in general. I yeah. think the arts, certainly where we are, is still seen as, this is arts, culture and heritage, I think, really, is seen as an economic driver for, for local, either regeneration or tourism, whatever it is. There is a shift with regards to, this just touches on... Uh, the next question, I think, uh, there is a shift around the, the growing kind of awareness about the benefits of, of things like arts and health, you know, the new National College for Social Prescribing. Yep. But I think in general, we tend to see it as just, just the economic. What can, what can you do for us? What can you do for our town? Yeah. When you put your festival on over three days, how many? How what's the pound spend in the shops? Yeah, how many visitors? So, so what? What's the what's the social, political, emotional impact of the arts? Most certainly, at local authority level, they're not interested in that. What they're interested in is what can you do for us for for our local economy because we all love a big fireworks show or, you know, a fire parade or something. We understand it as well. What we don't understand is the more difficult, intangible connections that you make with people that maybe help them make massive changes in their lives, which is the kind of thing that we're interested in. So a uh, hope and a dream is that uh, it is a greater trust, but also perhaps new ways, new models of working. And, uh, and that would be really exciting and I think would make something positive out of, out of what's happened. Do you think that'll be the reality? No, I don't, because I think it will, I think the fear, well, I think the link to prevailing sort of attitude towards the arts is about its its sense of value or sense of worth which is economic and i think that the the shoring up of buildings the saving of of institutions yeah is not going to to shift the emphasis onto onto issues and the things that we really need to talk about on, on, through the art through arts and creativity now, my, that's where my interest and the company's interest is looking at the issues that surround us. It's how can we use our creativity to, to assist in that and, you know, work towards a solution together, whether that's, you know, community cohesion or education, whatever it is. But I don't I think those um, outreach arms of the theatres are just for many of them they just they're still just bolt on rather than um 
like what can we do within the local our local communities to affect real change is there anything else you want to tell us oh, we did touch on it but there's a couple of points i wanted to make as well about uh, what was even expected sort of positives a lot of the people that we work with live with anxiety and fear and fear of engaging for many many different reasons and live in a state of lockdown for most of their lives i think what many people have told us and not just our projects but other projects as well this has come through working with the mental health trust that we work with here in yorkshire is that a lot of people who, who experience that have felt a, an almost a leveling off yeah. you know a kind of a, a, a confidence in a way where they where they've said you know people are starting to appreciate now what i deal with every day of my life wow. and i think there what there has been is a and a, a realization and an acceptance that a lot of people live with a lot of complex issues and we're all we've all been living with those things for the last six months and we're all going to be living with them certainly for the next six months so there's been um there's been some peace for a lot of people in that which sounds weird that out of something so it's actually given brought a sense of calm that is so interesting that is such an important point and also what's happened is that through the sessional work lots of people that we work with with would would come to the sessional and do the creative activities in the session the physical session but now because doing it online and they're doing it at home and they can do it whenever they want or they could just click on the videos of Sharon reading. Sometimes they don't even do the activities. They just want to hear her voice because they find it very comforting yeah. to hear her voice reading poems or singing. That has become part of their day-to-day -day life. So the creative activities become part of their life. It's not to say they weren't doing creative activities before, but they tended to do them in the two-hour session once a week. Yeah. But now. It's flowing through into the conversations that they have at home, conversations that they might have with the husband or the kids. The kids start to do the activities. The kids learn the songs. They sing together. And it's only really come from, from kind of being forced into that situation in lockdown, which is a positive. So it's, it's become much more embedded for some people in their lives and in their families' lives. Yeah, which is, which is yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's be it is beautiful. So on that note of beauty, uh, I just want to say, Jeff, thank you so much. It's been so interesting finding out a little bit about what's happening for for you, but also for your communities uh, during lockdown. And I just want to wish uh, you and Sharon and all of your artists and communities the very best of luck for the next part of lockdown. When we think of how lockdown has affected the cultural sector, we might think of artists, of crew, of our theatres and museums, or even about ourselves as audiences. We think less, I think, about the community arts sector, invisible despite working at the sharp end in schools, care settings, or directly with communities. What Jeff's interview revealed is what I think can be seen elsewhere. The COVID crisis has laid bare the lack of resilience in the system. Where things have worked well is where that infrastructure has been invested in where in this case community capacity is already being built. 
but it's perhaps failed where it's needed most. As Jeff suggests, we need to invest not only in economic outputs, but in quality of life. We need to value the vulnerable and trust and invest in those who work with them, not just during a crisis like COVID. Because as Jeff said, some people are always living in a state of lockdown. I'm Maria Barrett from University of Warwick, and I've been talking to Jeff Turner of their degree in Hebden Bridge. You've been listening to the Culture Under COVID, Realities and Dreams podcast, produced by the Centre for Cultural and Media Policy Studies with Blunt and Brave Productions. Thanks to Jeff for his time and insight, and to the University of Warwick Productivity GRP and Connecting Cultures GRP for supporting this podcast.